four weeks, ladies and gentlemen. It's been four weeks since I have spoken to you guys, and I know I was supposed to be talking to you two weeks ago. We had a lot of weird things happen on a personal level, so I do sincerely apologize. I don't want to get too much into my personal life on here. I know I can share some things, but it's just been a wild roller coaster between different medical situations. Um, one example is, I know I think I've talked about it before, my dog has epilepsy and we had some massive crazy cluster seizures during that time. There's been other major issues going on, but here's the thing. I was gone for four weeks. I, I know, that's probably got some of you fans a little irritated because you're like, hey, we look forward to this. I apologize. But I'm going to make it up to you right now because we are not only going to give you the episode that was meant to be last time, but we're going to carry it on and give you what's going to be this week's episode or se- episode session. So you're basically getting a two-for-one deal right here. Plus, I'm going to squeeze a little extra in there. So we're going to have a pretty good thing going on here, ladies and gentlemen, as we continue on with the Hall of Fame series. So without further ado, let's get this show going. This is the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Welcome to the Sleeper Hole Podcast, where there's no disqualification on the topics and falls count anywhere. I am your host, Priest, and before we continue on with our Hall of Fame series that we are getting so deep into, I do want to talk a little bit about WWE Fastlane and, of course, this past Monday on Raw, because let me tell you, a lot of great stuff that happened. Now, I know I said that I didn't think Kalisto was going to maintain his title because I felt like the League of Nations would gang up on him, but I have to be honest, I am so happy that he kept his title, just like I am excited the fact that Sasha Banks and Becky Lynch defeated Naomi and Tamina. Kevin Owens did defeat Dolph Ziggler, like I predicted. Ryback, Big Show, and the Demon Kane did defeat the Wyatt family, which... Okay, that was cool and all, even though that was probably the low point of the whole pay-per-view was that six-man tag. But again, I can't stress this enough that if the Wyatt family doesn't get a win on a big show, on a big match, they're going to go down the tubes really fast. And that's the thing that bothers me, is the Wyatt family does have great potential. And they dominate on a weekly basis. But you get to the big shows... And they don't get that, and I think that's really a shame because they need that push or else they're just going to become irrelevant. You know, Charlotte defeated Brie Bella. Like I said, Brie had a chance to really show that it was her time because she didn't have her sister there to outshine her. And yeah, they could have milked the whole Daniel Bryan thing, blah, blah, blah. But Charlotte did keep the title. So who knows what's going to happen at WrestleMania, which we're going to get to that in a little bit when they talked about Monday. AJ Styles defeated Chris Jericho. That was pretty cool. That was a darn good match. I probably possibly stole the show, in my opinion, because it was really nice. Um, the Cutting Edge Peep Show had the New Day on there. Then it had the League of Nations. League of Nations confronted New Day. New Day backed off. League of Nations went after um, Edge and Christian, and then they backed off. 
the best part of that whole thing, besides the whole banter back and forth, which is always great with Edge and Christian being involved, as much as I hate seeing New Day twerk and everything else, watching Edge make it rain to a twerking biggie was hilarious. Uh, Curtis Axel defeated R-Truth, unfortunately, thanks to the help of Goldust, who was actually trying to help R-Truth, but messed things up. And, of course, we have the main event where Roman Reigns defeated Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar, so he is going to be heading to WrestleMania to face off against Triple H for the WWE Heavyweight title. Okay, so we got Fastlane out of the way. Real quick, let's talk a little bit about Raw, because this Raw was probably the best Raw I've seen in a while, and only because, really, it was the opening part over everything. And I I hate to say that, but at the same time, watching Twitter's feed, everybody was talking about the opening, even at, at the end of the show. That was the highlight, and for darn good reason. But before we get to that, let's make some things clear here, first of all. We also now have Dean Ambrose going against... Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania for a street fight, just out of pure grudge, which is going to be great. Um, Charlotte has made it clear that under the authorities' approval, Becky and Sasha have to face off against each other to see who deserves to go against Charlotte. I still think that my one friend's prediction may come true, whether it's going to be a triple threat or, like he said, bring in... Bailey and have the four horsewomen go at it at WrestleMania for the title. How awesome would that be, guys? I'm really hoping for that now after that prediction because that would be phenomenal. No offense, AJ, but that would be more phenomenal than you. Speaking of AJ, AJ Styles and Chris Jericho make a tag team formation now called the Y2AJ, thanks to the social outcast. Makes sense. Those two, it was the fight of the century that everybody always wanted to see, according to the WWE commentators, and now they're making the tag team that could really take it. Goldust still struggles with R-Truth to make the Golden Truth, which I still think would be a great tag team. And last but not least, we have the opening thing, which is what everybody wants to talk about. We had the Vincent J. McMahon Legacy Award which Vincent Kennedy McMahon was going to award to his daughter, Stephanie McMahon. And during her acceptance speech came out the best surprise we could ever ask for, something that I've been praying for for quite a while with how frustrated I've been getting with the WWE. My buddy, the guy that I always liked watching when I was growing up, Shane O'Mac, came back. That's right, Shane McMahon. He came back not only to interrupt the award and talk about how Stephanie doesn't truly deserve that award, but he even did one thing better. He turned around and told them, the ratings have been going down, the stocks have been going down, this whole business has been going down the tubes since Stephanie and Triple H have taken over. Is it true? Is it false? I don't know. I don't care. It makes her a great storyline. But the best part about that is then he kind of hanged a few of the things that he had over Vince right there in front of everybody. He didn't say what they were, but he basically made it clear that he had some leverage over Vince McMahon. Vince tried to say, well, what do you want? Do you want more money? I'll cut you another check. No. Shane doesn't want that. It's all about legacy. Shane says he wants this business to be around 
for his kids to grow up through, for their kids and their kids. He wants this to stay around for generations to come. So what does Shane demand? He wants control of WWE Monday Night Raw. What better than that? I'm telling you, when he said that, I was sitting there fist pumping and cheering. I was happy as can be. I felt like a little kid again watching when it was the Monday Night Wars or even after the Monday Night Wars when we had the brands separated where it was SmackDown versus Raw. This was awesome to me. I was so excited. But wait, you're trying to make a deal with the devil. You're trying to make a deal with your father, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, Shane. It can't be that easy. We all know that. And sure enough, Shane knew it too. Vincent McMahon said, yeah, I'll give you what you want under one situation. You have to fight in one more match for one more night against an opponent of my choosing. With the fans cheering him on, Shane happily accepted with full confidence that he could win it and take over Monday Night Raw. Now, here's the stipulation of Shane loses. Whatever's in this lockbox that Shane has that has leverage over Vince has to be forfeited back to Vince McMahon. So, this is a really big match here, storyline-wise, and it, it really could make a lot of great things happen for the WWE. So, Shane agrees, right? We, we all know that Shane agrees. And Vince says, okay, your match will be at WrestleMania. Your match will be against the Phenom himself, the Undertaker. What the heck? And we think it's all shocking there? No, 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 no. Vince has one better. It's going to be a hell in a cell match. Now, we've seen Shane and Undertaker go at it before in the past, and it was awesome. It was brutal. It was great. And here's the big kicker. Everybody is freaking out about this. Everybody's looking forward to this. This is now the, the match that's going to steal everything. But I've been hearing it from my friends. A lot of them think that this is setting up a lot of hype for us all to get excited about Shane's return. But he's going to do one match. He's going to lose to The Undertaker. And then we're going to get back to the plum and gum and gloom and doom and all that stuff of what we have here. I beg to differ. I am saying it right now with my prediction, just like I told them. When we had wrestling going on when we grew up, there were two times in the WWE's history where the ratings were phenomenal. It was the Monday Night Wars, and after the Monday Night Wars, when it was SmackDown versus Raw. People loved that. They ate it up. And then, of course, the brands came back together, and the ratings slowly, gradually became what they are now, and then we got the PG era. Here's what I've noticed. Thanks to Chris Jericho, thanks to a guest appearance of The Rock, thanks to a few other things like Edge and Christian, we're starting to see inklings, hence, attitudes of what it used to be before the PG era. Things that made great business, made great sales. We're seeing those little subtle hits. It's awesome. And people like me are loving it. Not only that, but now we're seeing this match. So here's what I see happening. They're going to have that match. Vincent K. McMahon. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Vinnie Mac. However you want to call him. 
is going to have a little powwow with The Undertaker. And it's going to seem like he's working The Undertaker and getting him psyched up and everything else. But then he's going to say something. Something that crosses The Undertaker just right. To where The Undertaker doesn't really show it at first. He looks like he shrugs it off like whatever Vince is being Vince. But it's going to eat away at him. Now, Undertaker's going to give Shane a pummeling. We all know it. Shane's in for a fight for his life here. And Shane hasn't really been in the ring for God knows how long. It's been a long time. But the Phenom, I truly believe, is going to lose. Whether it's for some weird way that Shane's going to beat him, or that he's going to let Shane win because he's fed up with Vince McMahon and Vince says something to really cross him. But Undertaker's going to lose this one. Shane's going to take over Raw. And here's what's going to happen. Shane has Raw. Stephanie and Triple H will have SmackDown. We'll have the brands divided again. And what happens then? We have a roster draft. And we're back to what made money for the company. We're back to what made success. We're talking about a business move here that is so genius, so successful. I can't believe it took them this long to do it, but I am so glad to see it happen. So there you have it. That's what happened on Fastlane. That's what happened on Raw. And that's where my foreshadowing prediction is when it comes to good old Shane O'Mac. Now, I'm going to say this right here, right now. Shane McMahon, if you ever hear this podcast, I personally, yours truly, Priest, want to say welcome back. Thank you so much for coming back. And if you ever want to be a guest on my show... You just let me know. I will stop whatever series I'm doing. And that whole episode is all about Shane O'Mac and his adventures, whether it's what you've done in the ring, what you've done behind the scenes, or even when you were not doing wrestling. And I believe, if I remember right, you even ran your own motorcycle company, which sounds awesome to me as well, because I like the idea about running and owning a bike shop. But you want to talk on my show, it is all for you, man. You let me know, and the whole episode, the floor is yours. I'll be happy to have you as a guest. All right. Now we're all done with that, and let's get down to the nitty-gritty. We're going to talk about the WWE Hall of Fame. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a few more years, and let us talk about who highlighted those wonderful years. Now, we are continuing our series by talking about 2008, first and foremost. This year had a good list of people that went into the WWE Hall of Fame. First of all, let's talk about Eddie Graham. Eddie Graham was a promoter and booker of championship wrestling in Florida, as well as he held over 30 NWA regional titles, including... 18 of those titles in CWF. Now, we also got Gordon Soley, who, he was a commentator, an announcer, a promoter, all that jazz for championship wrestling from Florida. He also worked later on down there as being with World Championship Wrestling, or WCW. So, I mean, those were two that I can really kick off with real quick. I don't know a lot about them, but I definitely want to make sure I honorably mention them. But let's get to two people that you may not know them, 
but you definitely know their legacy. First off, High Chief Peter Mayavia. He is a person who's held more than a dozen NWA regional championships. He is the grandfather of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And he is also the father of another 2008 inductee, Soul Man Rocky Johnson, who also seems to be the father of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Now, Rocky Johnson, though, he was a one-time WWF World Tag Team Champion, and he was half of the first black WWF World Tag Team Championship winning duo, accompanying with Tony Atlas. So, I mean, this guy made history. Remember that. Made history. Just gotta stress that enough right there. Now, there's two more people for 2008 that I know I can really talk a little bit more about because I've seen them a lot more and everything else. One of them is another first in the history. She is the first ever and one-time NWA United States Women's Champion as well as a one-time NWA Women's World Tag Team Champion. It is Mae Young, best friend of Fabulous Moolah. She was quite the wrestler during her time. She also has been... She she did a lot of great comedic roles back in the Attitude Era. Her, Moolah, Pat Patterson, and uh, Gerald Briscoe, that's the guy. And they did so many goofy little things. I, it was funny, it was lewd, but it was one of those that even me growing up, I'm like, oh, oh, just put your pants back on or put your shirt back or whatever. But growing up now, looking back now, I'm like, it was just so bad. It was hilarious. And it made for ratings. So for a woman who was quite the lady when it came to her growing up years and being a great professional wrestler to being willing to put herself into a comedic situation, may just like Mula, did a lot for the business, and you've got to respect that. And, of course, it wouldn't be the Hall of Fame for 2008 if I didn't mention the one, the only, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Let me tell you something about Ric Flair. The first active WWE wrestler to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. He also was a two-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion, eight-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, and nine-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Right there, let's see here, that is 19 different World Heavyweight titles. 19! He's also recognized by the WWE, though, as a 16-time World Heavyweight Champion, a 6-time NWA United States Heavyweight Champion, and 1-time WWF Intercontinental Champion, as well as the winner of the 1992 Royal Rumble Tournament, or competition, however you want to call it, because it's not really a tournament, it's all everybody one thing. But still, Nature Boy has done so many things and had so many great prestigious things happen in his life. Even today, he is still highly recognized. He's still highly respected. Granted, he's right beside Charlotte right now, but we are talking about the Nature Boy. And like I said, 16-time world heavyweight champion as recognized by the WWE. He's got people creeping up towards his uh, 
his legacy there, his record, but still right now he is the top man on that totem pole. 2009. First of all, we had Cowboy Bill Watts, former wrestling promoter in the Mid-South United States, one-time WWF United States Tag Team Champion, and he has also held over 20 NWA Regional Championships. We also had Howard Finkel. Now, for those of you guys who don't know Howard Finkel, just go watch some of the older wrestling shows before Lillian Garcia, or even after Lillian started. He was a WWE ring announcer since 1977, and he was first employee hired by the WWE in 1975. So, I mean, this guy's been there. He's done that. He's seen a lot. And for a while there, he actually had a little bit of like, kind of a feud going on when Lillian came into the whole thing about how he's the one who should be recognized. He's the one who should be respected and honored and everything else. Finkel is a unique one. And what was great is that he even had a, I believe it's called a gentleman's tuxedo match. Um, it's kind of like a bra and panties match, but it's with guys in tuxedos stripped onto their underwear. Not something I would highly recommend for everybody to watch, but if you want a good laugh, or if you're one of those girls who wants to see grown men in their tidy whities there you go. That's, that's something for you to watch. And who could forget the person who's held several NWA regional championships, always had his bird with him, and was quite the character back in the day. We're talking about Coco Beware. With his McCall Frankie by his side, Coco was a great gimmick, a great act, and people loved watching him. One thing that I'll always remember that I did enjoy, even though it was a tough time for one of my favorites, is when Owen Hart was teamed up with Coco Beware. Owen took it very well, in my opinion, even though it really wasn't getting him anywhere for his future. But still, they made a pretty darn good tag team, if you ask me. Maybe I'm a little biased, but that's okay. Another person that was really awesome to watch, and I loved this guy when I was a kid. We're talking about Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. He was a one-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion, three-time NWA United States Heavyweight Champion, and one-time WWF Intercontinental Champion. This guy had the moves, ladies and gentlemen. And one thing I am sure, if my memory serves me right, because, man, this was back when I was like five or six that I fell in love with this. If I remember right, Ricky would come out to the ring and he would breathe fire into the air like a real dragon. And I absolutely ate it up. It was the coolest thing when you're a kid to see this guy who's called a dragon breathe fire like a dragon. And you're going, I want to be like that guy because nobody can breathe fire that I know of. And if he can do it, that is so cool. And I want to do it too so I can be cool. And of course, we wanted to have 2009. If it wasn't for a one particular person I want to talk about, just like 2008 had Ric Flair, give me an oh, hell yeah. If you're a fan of Stone Cold Steve Austin... That's right, 2009 was the year that Steve Austin was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Six-time 
World Wrestling Federation, WWF, however you want to call it. He was the World Heavyweight Champion, or at one time it was just WWF Champion. He was the 1996 King of the Ring Champion. Again, I'm a big fan of the King of the Ring, but that's also where Stone Cold got his whole Austin 316 thing going on there. Three times he has won the Royal Rumble, 1997, 1998, and 2001. But the thing we all know about Steve Austin is his in-your-face persona. Beer-drinking, crazy redneck, the Texas rattlesnake, and of course, the best thorn in the side to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Now, 2010... It did have some good inductees as well. I'm not going to knock it. We first off had the founder of New Japan Pro Wrestling, who is also a two-time WWWF or WWF World Martial Arts Heavyweight Champion and once a IWGP Heavyweight Champion. We're talking about Antonio Inoki. He was a visionary like Vince, in my opinion, you know, if you go and watch some of the stuff about New Japan Pro Wrestling, it was great. It was by far just wild out there. There was so much that you could say about it. I definitely recommend it. And the great part is a lot of the greats that we know did some time over there with New Japan Pro Wrestling. They toured the world, England, Japan, wherever, but New Japan was also a great place to spring from, and springboard off of, I guess is a better way of putting it, so really a lot of credit there. We also had another female inducted to the Hall of Fame, we're talking about Wendy Richter, she was a two-time WWF Women's Champion, once an AWA Women's Champion, and twice the NWA Women's World Tag Team Champion. That's the thing also. I'm just real quick tangent here that I love about the past are these things where I see the Women's Tag Team Championship right there. We have Tag Team Champions now, but we don't have Women's Tag Team Champion. Let's bring back the Divas Tag Team Division and give them a belt too. I'm just saying. We've got the Women's Division really growing, especially with NXT. Let's make it happen. Okay, guys? Okay, keep on going. 2010. Maurice Mad Dog Vashun. This was a five-time AWA World Heavyweight Champion who was incredible to watch. I'd only seen a few videos when I look back, but definitely worth the time to check out. Uh, Let's see here. Gorgeous George. Man, that's a name that I will always have a lot of respect for. There's a lot of great videos, and he definitely had the charisma and personality that he made the character so believable. He made the character come to life. He knew how to play the role and did it so great. Gorgeous George, he once held the Boston version of the AWA World Heavyweight Championship, He was very arrogant. He was very flamboyant. Like I said, he had a lot of charisma, and he knew how to play a great heel. He basically helped 
get wrestling on the screen. And, I mean, wrestling was not always what it is today where it's on the television. Like I said, there was back in the days there was territories, but it was also, all certain territories would have it on TV, other ones wouldn't. But he really helped get it all on the screen. During the 1940s and 1950s, he really was a great point for our history of wrestling that we need to really give a lot of credit to. That I think... I think most of us do, but there's some of us who probably don't know much about Gorgeous George. Put him as a thing that you need to learn about in a like a history lesson that is a must-do, because you will not regret it. Let me just tell you. Uh, Stu Hart, 2010 Hall of Fame inductee. Anybody who's listened to my podcast knows I'm a big fan of the Hart family, and I could go on forever about the Hart family. He established Stampede Wrestling. Um, that was in Calgary. He established it in 1948. It ran till about 1984, ironically, my birth year. Um, he had the Dungeon Wrestling School in his own house where many WWE wrestlers uh, basically went and trained under. Um, the most recent one is Natalia Neidhart, as well as, you know, we have Tyson Kidd. But really Stu helped out with a lot of people training in the dungeon outside of just the Hart family like my hero Brett and Owen and all of them so definitely Stu is well more than deserving of having that award and you know honor to him you know it it was a tough time when he passed just like when it was when Owen passed but we're not going to get into a depression thing here let's just say this from reading Bret Hart's book about his dad and about the whole wrestling life and everything else, Stu would, as they call it, stretch you out, and he would work you, and you would come out of there sore and screaming and everything else, but you would basically be like, feeling like you were put into a pretzel. And he did that so you would learn the moves, you would learn the endurance, and you'd learn how to handle what truly could happen. Stu was great. The last person I want to talk about for 2010, though, is one that I also enjoyed watching. The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Like he would always say, everybody's got a price. <laughs> I can't really do his laugh, but still. Four times, he was the Mid-South North American Heavyweight Champion. He was the creator and two-time holder of the non-sanctioned Million Dollar Championship. That's right. He made his own belt and he was the one who created the million dollar championship he held it twice three times he held the WWF World Tag Team Championship 1988 he was the king of the ring Ted DiBiase he was incredible to watch Um, most people remember him for after his big time wrestling career when he was more of a manager and a ringside assistant like back with the NWO and stuff like that but what I remember most about the Million Dollar Man was his wrestling career Um, first of all when Undertaker debuted it was during Survivor Series and he was part of the Million Dollar Team he was with Ted DiBiase but the thing that I liked about Ted DiBiase is when after he won a match he would take out a hundred dollar bill and shove it in the throat of his opponent. His opponent would be laying there out cold with a dollar, $100 bill stuck in his mouth. Almost as like a mocking type of gesture. 
he played it so well as the brash, arrogant, rich guy. And it was great. I mean, JBL did it great, too. Don't get me wrong. But without Million Dollar Man, I don't think JBL would have had his success with it either because, really, Million Dollar Man started the whole big thing, in my opinion. Moving right along to 2011. First off, we have Abdullah the Butcher. Now, this big guy is a hardcore legend. He was in many wrestling territories, won a variety of regional championships. But this guy was gruesome and rough. And when I say that, the only thing that I can think of locally to compare him to is my buddy Beast. Because when I think of gruesome and rough and just wanting to tear the living heck out of you, I think of Beast. And Abdullah the Butcher is that ferocious too. Those two would have made a terrifying tag team duo, if you ask me. But definitely check out some stuff about Abdullah the Butcher. It's great. Another person, though, that ran around with several regional championships and everything else is Bullet Bob Armstrong. Now, I don't know much about Bob Armstrong. I've seen a few old videos here and there of him, but he's not one that I recognize as easily as Abdullah, but I definitely still say good to get your history on there. I plan on doing the same. So definitely another one to mention as an honorable mention. But I want to mention one guy, just like uh, Steamboat Ricky Dragon, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, rather. This is another guy I grew up watching that I don't know why, and still to this day, I don't get why he wins me over so easily. And that is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. The guy comes out with the American flag in a 2x4, and he gives out his chant, and bear with me, I'm going to move the mic away real quick so I don't blow out your ears, but he simply goes, and that's, that's what he does. And he holds out his thumb up type of gesture, and he's got his squinty eye, and his big old beard, he's like, USA! And, and people ate it up. And I'm telling you, Hacksaw, he did... <laughs> He had a lot of great matches. The guy really didn't win any major titles. I mean, the most he won was the WCW United States Championship, and he was the first Royal Rumble winner back in 1988. That's the only big things he ever really did like for prestigious title-wise and everything else. But the thing is, he was a huge favorite with the fans. And I mean... I put him close to like you have a Dusty Rhodes. The fans loved Hacksaw, and even to this day, they still love Hacksaw. So he's definitely one that you go back and you watch the older pay-per-views. You'll see Hacksaw, and I am sure that you'll fall in love with him just as much as the rest of us when we grew up with him. Another one to mention from 2011, never won any titles either, but is billed as the first WWE diva. We're talking about Sonny. And let me tell you something. Sonny was one of those hot bombshells that everybody drooled over. Heck, I remember as a kid in my room, right on my door, I had a poster of Sonny in a bikini, and that was like the coolest thing to have because it's a hot girl 
and I could get away with it because it's a wrestling girl, unlike something from Sports Illustrated Playboy issue or whatever, where they're still scantily clad or even less uh, clothes on. But this I was able to get away with because it had the wrestling brand on there. Sunny did a lot of great stuff management-wise as well. She did fight a few times, but she was a great, beautiful lady. And, and the thing that's funniest to me is one of her Slammy Awards that she won was the Best Buns Award. So that's just a little good humor right there before we get to the final person of this episode as well as of the 2011 Hall of Fame inductees. And that person, you know, some people think he's cute. Some people, you know, will say he's sexy and that he can drive the girls wild. Me... I think the best way to call him is Mr. WrestleMania, the showstopper, the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Also known as one of the founding fathers of D-Generation X. Shawn Michaels has been a three-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion. Once the World heavyweight champion um, just outside of that I guess it's not really understanding that one myself but that's what I'm seeing here with my research and notes he was a three time WWF intercontinental champion twice he won the Royal Rumble 1995 and 1996 which if I remember right makes him the first back to back winner of the Royal Rumble he's also the one who really kind of created the whole as they call it, skin the ca- uh, carpet or skin the cat trick, where only one foot touched the floor, not both. So he stayed alive in the Royal Rumble. And he was the first WWE wrestler to achieve the Grand Slam of their division, which basically means having the multiple titles in his career. So, really, a lot of accomplishments. Um, HBK, Shawn Michaels, he's done a lot. Um, he still does a lot. He still makes special appearances sometimes, and he wins the fans over real easy. And it's, it's kind of funny that we have him on this today, because I actually made a comment relating to him this past weekend about his super kick and how it was the finishing move. Once you got hit with that, it was over. And now you see people like Kevin Owens and Dolph Ziggler use it. And it's just a simple move. So it's kind of a thing where Sean really, he kept it pretty simple, but he did a lot of great things. And he had that charisma. He knew how to work the ladies. And he, just like Triple H back when they were D-Generation X, they knew how to get the ratings with pushing the envelope. And they did a lot of great stuff. Um, he, He had great matches against The Undertaker. Let's not forget that. But I think one of my favorite things with John Michaels outside of The Undertaker is probably either his feud with Ric Flair or the feud between him and his best friend Triple H when they basically fell apart and Degeneration X imploded. Um, they tried to bring it back and then it imploded on itself because of their feud. And Sean, great superstar, he had his own battles in life. He was able to turn around and now look at him just... Phenomenal guy. Absolutely phenomenal. 
and he will definitely be one that, whether you like it or not, he will be cemented in wrestling history and always remembered. All right, guys, listen up. If you are in the 217 area and you want to have the inside scoop on local artists, professionals, or anything else great going on in the Springfield, Illinois area, do I have a podcast for you. My buddy, Jeremy Bailey, with Lincoln Legends, is the place to go. He is always getting the inside scoop, has a lot of great information, and it's always entertaining to check out his stuff. He even does video blogs as well as the podcast. This guy, he is incredible with what he does, and it's like I said, it's always entertaining. I look forward to watching this stuff myself and listening in. But let me also say this. If you are a person who does have a profession or has a passion or a pulse that you want to make heard throughout the central Illinois area, definitely get a hold of Lincoln Legends. They would love to hear from you, and they would love to showcase you and help you build your business and make yourself grow. Again, my buddy Jeremy Bailey helps run this thing. He is an incredible guy. Hats off to him. You would not go wrong talking to this guy and checking out his stuff. Again, that's Lincoln Legends. Google it. Check it on Facebook. Watch a little bit of it. Listen in. You won't be disappointed. Okay, so that was all the stuff that you guys were supposed to be hearing two weeks ago before all the crazy chaos that, like I said, don't want to go too much into. So let's recap and catch up to right now. First of all, the whole thing between Shane versus Vince and Stephanie and all that, which leads to Shane versus The Undertaker WrestleMania, that's still going down. Um, We all saw that, well, first of all, Vince is disowning Shane as his own son. Well, you know, that's just really shady and crappy of him. Uh, One thing that was pretty awesome was The Undertaker pretty much grabbed the throat of Vince McMahon and said that... Whatever happens to Shane is on Vince's hands, not The Undertaker's. So kind of cool there. And I kind of have a feeling that what's going to happen here is that they're going to eventually give The Undertaker the stipulation of, look, if you don't beat him, you're fired. And then we're going to have it where Undertaker can finally have his retirement match. He can finally ride off to the sunset. Um, it's kind of funny because when I brought this theory up, my wife, who is not as big of a wrestling fan as myself, but she chimed in when I said, I can just see them now going, if you don't beat Shane McMahon, then you're fired. And she chimed in right away with, well, gee, Vince, I've been trying to retire for God knows how long. Every time I turn around, you throw me in another WrestleMania match. So (laughs) it was a good laugh between her and I. I figured some of you guys might like that. Um... Vince, you know, he came out this past Monday after Shane was doing some talking and made some really, I want to say harsh, but not so much because I'm for Shane on this, but it made a rebuttal back to Vince, and Vince stomped a picture frame of young Shane with his dad and made some really personal jabs at Shane as a father um, and said that he was going to be a failure and everything else. Then he called security, and, well, Shane showed security that he's actually been training. And I mean, I've seen some videos and whatnot of Shane actually training and preparing for this, so it's pretty awesome seeing Shane O'Man getting ready to throw down and get all into it. 
Uh, also, let's see here. <laughs> we have this Saturday. Oh, man, this Saturday is a pay-per-view and everything else. That's going to be a crazy one. Um, what is it? It's the roadblock on the WWE Network only. I'm going to try to get some people in on that one so we can get predictions. More than likely, it's just going to be just a real quick small thing. It's not going to be like when we have our other big pay-per-views, but we'll definitely get some stuff. But right now we have where Dean Ambrose is going up against Triple H for the title. Uh, we have Brock Lesnar versus Bray Wyatt. That's going to be another good one. And they really haven't promoted much else, so... Who knows what else is going to be in Roadblock, but it is going to be interesting. Oh, another thing that happened uh, yesterday, or rather, Monday. Sorry, I'm, this recording is actually being done right now on a Tuesday, so I can have it ready for you guys on Wednesday, since I'm going to be busy with work and doing a little extra overtime to help make things balance out. Um, Monday night, we had Y2AJ fall apart which really was kind of a bummer because they made a really cool team. I saw some great potential there. But, of course, you know, Y2J apparently doesn't agree, so Y2AJ is no more, which really kind of stinks. New Day is still, of course, the champions and holding strong. And I have to say this. As much as I've always said that I'm not a big fan of New Day, the more I'm getting to look at things, the more I'm starting to really... I guess you can say research and see how they are outside of the show, which I know is a big no-no in my book because it's you know anti-kayfabe and all that. But I do kind of like to see these personal things, and they are pretty cool guys. I mean, Xavier Woods has his own YouTube channel, um, Up Up Down Down. That thing is hilarious and and fun to watch. I mean, I haven't watched it all the way through, but I've watched certain segments, so. Definitely, if you're a video game nerd like myself, and you do like wrestling, check out Up, Up, Down, Down. It's pretty funny. Um, besides that, you know, we still have a few more weeks to go till WrestleMania, and I'm telling you, if it keeps going at this pace, who knows what's going to happen next. This thing just keeps building and building. You know, Kevin Owens is saying that he doesn't have a worthy opponent. I would love to see Big Show give it another shot. Um, Kalisto hasn't really had a declare yet for his title. Yeah, I have a feeling Ryback might try it. But it, it's really building up to be some really great stuff, guys. So hopefully WrestleMania is going to be very promising. It usually does deliver really well, but I've also seen some BS happen before in previous big events, including WrestleMania. So who knows? Anyway, that's all said and done. We still have... 2012, 13, 14, 15, and I'm going to touch a little bit on what we know already for 2016 for this episode, so we can give you guys not only the two episodes like I said, but we're going to give you that little bonus so we can keep on trucking and make things awesome. So, let's go ahead and kick this off with the Hall of Fame inductees of 2012. The first major inductee to mention for 2012 is the Mexican luchador who was the first masked wrestler to perform at the Madison Square Garden. We're talking about Mil Mascaras. He was inducted by Alberto Del Rio. He was a very talented luchador, which, you know, 
personally for me, I have a soft spot for a lot of the luchadors. They are incredible. I do get tired of seeing it where their chain wrestling is just five or ten or however many minutes of nonstop flippy run slather repeat. That's when it gets old. But when you see a lot of the luchadors that have been around for a while or the ones that have been kind of in the WWE or anything like that, they know when to do the flippy, awesome luchador stuff and when to actually become more ground and pound. And, you know, like stuff like Rey Mysterio is a good one or um, El Parca, La Parca, rather, sorry. Uh, Hoovatoot, he was a great one. So, I mean, I really do believe that Mil Mascaris, you know, he helped pave that way, so you got to give a lot of credit to him. Uh, let's see here. 2012. Jeez, there wasn't really a lot of people in 2012 when you think about it. But um, there's some great names. I mean, Yokozuna. Yokozuna. If you've never seen a match with him, check it out. That big guy. Even better, check out a Royal Rumble that involved Yokozuna. Because you'd have pretty much the whole entire group of guys in the Royal Rumble decide, let's all team up to get this big guy over the top. Because, I mean, he was a big boy. I mean, he definitely did a great job. And he was actually, you know, again, I don't like to break kayfable up. I'm going to be realistic here. They've already mentioned it in the WWE. He was actually a Samoan who portrayed as a Japanese sumo wrestler. And he was an incredible talent. Uh, let's see here. He was twice the WWF World Heavyweight Champion. Twice he was a WWF Tag Team Champion. And in 1993, he actually did win the Royal Rumble. So definitely one worth checking out. Um, another one that was really good one to, that I'm glad I was inducted we all know JBL from his commentating and everything else nowadays, but back in the day he wrestled, and when he first started, he was part of the Acolytes. And his partner in crime was Ron Simmons, or known as Farouk at some time. First of all, Ron was the first black world heavyweight champion who won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship at one time as well. Um, he, like I said, did wrestle as Farouk, where three times he was the world tag team champion with John Bradshaw Layfield as the Acolytes or APA, Acolytes Protection Agency. Um, Ron is most famous for his one word phrase, which is a four letter word that's also the, begins with the fourth letter of the alphabet. I'm not going to say that word because I'm trying to keep this very much family friendly and also the fact that I don't want to have to go through all the extra steps to make sure that this gets on my iTunes podcast feed as well. So you can do the math yourself, but if you want to see a very, very talented wrestler, go watch The Acolytes and check out Ron Simmons. He was an awesome, awesome wrestler. Also inducted... And the final person inducted in the 2012 Hall of Fame is one of my favorites outside of Bret Hart, and that is Edge. You know, maybe it's just Canadians produce great wrestlers in my book. I don't know. But I I like Edge. And Edge is also, like Bret Hart, one who inspired my priest gimmick. And what I mean by that is, 
I always said that if I got myself into the ring and got myself to be a full-time wrestler, I would have a lot of the tactical wrestling techniques of my hero, Bret Hart. I'd have a few of other wrestlers, such as Edge, but the main thing would be Bret. But when it came to personality, Edge was my type of guy. Arrogant, cocky, sly, and knew how to work the fans and the talent to his advantage. That's Edge for you. Edge started out as this gothic vampire-esque thing. It, it really was around the time when we had all the Anne Rice novels coming into, you know, the movies such as Interviews with the Vampire and whatnot. Um, he was teamed up with the vampire Gangrel and eventually his brother, uh, Christian, came into the whole mix. Edge really... After they left the whole Gangrel thing, Edge and Christian really started to shine and show more of their true personality, especially when they were finally let loose to be goofy and do their antics and have their chance to run their mouth on the mic. You know, they helped bring the world of TLC into what it is nowadays. They were... Edge had a lot of different great feuds. I mean, he had one with Mick Foley... Uh, if we, everybody pretty much knows the one with Matt Hardy and Lita, the whole love triangle there. I know I've mentioned a little bit about it before when I talked about Lita. But Edge never really lost that unique charisma that made him be one of my favorites. And it's really kind of awesome, you know, that when he did get to leave, even though it was not when he wanted to leave, it was because of health concerns and health conditions that all of the fans and all the roster really gave him the respect he deserves. But let's not forget that, you know, like everybody else, Edge had a lot of great accomplishments. I mean, he was four-time WWE champion, seven-time, which is the record, world heavyweight champion. He was the winner of the inaugural Money in the Bank ladder match, the 2010 Royal Rumble he held the World and WWE Tag Team Championship at a combined 14 times, which is more than any other wrestler. I mean, the guy left a great lineage. He left a great record and a great series. So he definitely deserves to be considered one of the greats of all time. Um, I know they talk about nowadays how um, the Dudleys are considered the baddest or the greatest or however they want to put it. But honestly, 14-time tag team champion, just saying. Now, 2013 didn't have a bad list of people either. I mean, first of all, we had Bruno San Martino, a two-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion who also holds the records for the longest consecutive and cumulative reigns of 7 and 11 years, respectively. He was also, you know... A person that a lot of people try to, you know, train from and learn from. He really knew the business, and he's definitely one that, if you are ever going to get into the wrestling world, I know I probably say this for a lot of the wrestlers, especially the ones from back in the day, but watch his stuff. Bruno was really, really good. Just as good as the next person who was inducted, which is Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund was a two-time WWF or WWF World Heavyweight Champion 
And at one time, he was the WWF Tag Team Champion. I personally got to meet Bob Backlund. And he is quite the character, okay? The guy has a great heart. He, you know, granted it was just a real quick meet and everything else because, you know, he was greeting all sorts of fans during the show. Um, my favorite thing that he did is I asked if I could just get a picture with him instead of having him just sign, you know, my shirt and give me a, a picture of him from his glory days. I wanted a picture of Bob Backlund now. And he was like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And he put me in the chicken wing. I, I kid you not, I was put in a submission hold while holding the camera and taking a picture. It was hilarious. Him and I got a good laugh out of it. And you know, he gave me great words of encouragement and motivation. But you could tell that he loves this business. And it's not just because, you know, he had glory days and he's trying to relive them. No, he loves it because of us, the fans. He loves it because of the connection he still has to this day. He is a legend. And I am so glad that I got to meet him, shake his hand, and, you know, just a lot of great stuff. Bob Acklin's another one. And I love the fact that as a wrestler, as a character, he almost had a somewhat loose cannon-type energy to him. And it was very explosive and very contagious. And that's what I loved about Bob Backlund. Um, another person, 2013. I-, I would be feeling like a fool if I didn't get to this guy because he was pretty much a very interesting person that caught my interest early on with his career that I got to see him as when he donned a leather mask. I'm talking about Mick Foley, who goes by so many other names. We're talking about Cactus Jack, Dude Love, or as I originally got introduced to him as, Mankind. This guy, I swear, with how many injuries and how many different things he's had done to his body, I don't think he really understands pain. I don't think it registers with him. He is a three-time WWF champion, eight-time WWF tag team champion, two-time ECW World Tag Team Champion, once he was the WCW World Tag Team Champion, and he was the first WWF Hardcore Champion. All with that said, he had so many great rivalries. He had rivalries with Triple H. He had rivalries with Edge. He had rivalries with The Undertaker. And speaking of Undertaker, if you really want to see how crazy and how much I say that mankind doesn't understand pain, Hell in a Cell... Undertaker versus Mankind. Watch it. It is probably the most sadistically disgusting, shocking, OMG type of moment you'll ever see with that guy. I mean, I've seen him get speared into a burning table, and it wasn't as shocking as some of the stuff from that Hell in a Cell match. I mean, I seriously thought that he was killed. There, there was times where during that match, it's like, oh my gosh, he killed the man. You know, I seriously thought Undertaker killed Mankind or McFoley legitimately. And next thing you know, Mankind's right back up. I, I swear this guy does not get it. Thankfully, he's retired, but I, I still think that he was one crazy son of a gun. And it's funny, though. If you ever get a chance to listen to his stand-up comedy, do it. Mankind does not, or I shouldn't call him Mankind, this is actually Mick Foley, but still, he does not like 
to use much vulgarity. I mean, he will here and there, but he's a creative mind. He's a brilliant mind, and he's brilliant because he knows how to get the point across and get the description and the illustration of what he's trying to say without having to use any real vulgarity, and he paints that image for you, and it sinks in just right. So, definitely a great person in the Hall of Fame, and definitely an incredible wrestler. If you haven't seen him before, if you're new to the wrestling world, or you're just a young kid who's all you know is the current era, get on YouTube, get on the WWE Network, get on something, and watch this guy. And then sit there and Pick up your jaw off the ground, because I'm telling you, it's going to be hitting the ground. Another person who was in 2013 was the record seven-time WWF, or WWE as it changed to, women's champion, a three-time WWE Babe of the Year, and voted the Diva of the Decade during the Raw 10th Anniversary we are talking about Trish Stratus with some Stratisfaction. I know I did a episode special with her about her a little bit when I did the whole Diva series. So I know I've really touched base on a lot of things. But Trish really worked the crowd and she really knew how to show that Divas aren't just prim and proper. I mean, she wasn't like China, where she was all muscle and beat the crap out of people. And she showed her beauty. She showed her looks. But she knew how to put looks with fierce competition hand in hand. And Trish played that role so well. And so, I mean, I got to give props to her. She's another one that for any person, uh, any of you young ladies who are wanting to get into the squared circle... Watch some of Trish's stuff. I mean, watch any of the divas, really. But watch the divas from the past more than you do right now. I'm not knocking on the divas of now, because there's a lot of great ones out there. There's Becky Lynch. I love her. There's Sasha Banks. There's Naomi. There's Tamina. There's the Bellas. There's my girl Natty and Bailey and Paige. I mean, there's so many great ones out there. But there's a certain something to the past generations that this generation most of them are missing that it factor in my opinion last person for 2013 is one guy that I love it when they have him on there for commentary I love hearing his thoughts because he is an incredible brilliant mind who is incredibly talented superstar came up from a rough beginning even got himself into some hard times and I, I could try to do the whole Dusty Rhodes hard times but that's not what we're here for this is seriousness here he's a pure example that even when you go through a hard time in life even when you take and make a bad choice you can turn it around and make something great of yourself I'm talking about Booker T who was inducted by his brother Stevie Ray now, first of all, just so I can say this, I know I said this on my prediction thing, Booker T and Stevie Ray, they made Harlem Heat. And Harlem Heat was one of the best tag teams out there, in my opinion. But Booker T, this man, he had, like I said, rough childhood. Then he turned around, became t- training and wrestling, 
and he got to be actually in a main roster world. He was a five-time WCW champion. Five-time, five-time, five-time. I love it when he does that with the spin of Rooney. One time he was the world heavyweight champion with the whole WCW. He, I believe it was, maybe it was the WWE. I'll have to double-check that one. But I know he was a world heavyweight champion. He held a record 11-time WCW World Tag Team Championship title reign. Ten of them was with his brother Stevie Ray, the Harlem Heat. Like I said, they made the, some of the best chemistry. And I know it's like, oh, well, they're brothers. Of course we're going to have great chemistry. Look at the Usos. True. But usually brothers are also the ones who get on each other's last nerve. So, just saying. A lot of props to Booker. I, I love hearing his analytics and his predictions and everything else for these big shows. Um, you know, between the it's gonna be good or his shucky-ducky moment, which, man, I really wish he would have had that last pay-per-view. He better have it the next one, because I'm telling you, Booker T knows how to make it creative, and he is brilliant on that mic. 2014, we had some great inductees. First of all, we had the Ultimate Warrior, who was a one-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion and a two-time WWF Intercontinental Champion. Warrior was one that didn't always get along nice with the guys in the back. He was a kind of an a, uh, introverted type person and everything else, but him making peace with it all and having Linda there, Linda McMahon that is, it really kind of helped him. And it was a real shame because shortly after him being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, we said goodbye to the Ultimate Warrior. And it just shows you how precious and how little time really is. Um, But he definitely had a unique flair to him. He would basically run down the ring and he would go in there, run around, shake the ropes. Um, Looked like he had a little streamer or tassels wrapped around his armbands. He was very colorful, very energetic. um, And then he would I, w- I don't want to say anything really bad but his matches were pretty much cookie cutter but his heart was incredible he had a great heart for the whole business and, and a heart for his fans his fans especially was where his passion lied if it wasn't for his fans and his family I, I don't think he would have really had what he had um, another great person from back in the day that was inducted in 2014 is Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake the Snake Roberts, um, he was pretty much, the, he was credited to be the inventor of the DVD. He had several regional championships. He never really held a big WWE title or WWF title, which is what it was back then. But this man was very smart and very good with his words. Uh, he he would be able to take a mic and use that intellect to deliver a beautiful promo unlike anyone else right off the fly. And unfortunately, like a lot of people in that business, especially back in that time, 
he fell into some rough patches. Uh, unfortunately for him, his he had his faced his own demons, which most of the time was with drug use and everything else. But with the help of his friends like Diamond Dallas Page, he was able to turn himself around, and it, it's a beautiful story. Um, I, I still remember him always having Damien the Snake with him wherever he went, and that that gets just gave me the heebie-jeebies back when I was a kid because that was a big old snake. Um, but Jake Roberts was definitely one of the best people to watch back then. Like I said, credited to be the inventor of the D- DDT. That was his finishing move and nobody did it like Jake the Snake Roberts. Lita. Lita was inducted into the Hall of Fame during 2014 as well. Um, She was a four-time WWF or WWE Women's Champion. She was the kind of the girl who stood out against the rest in a different way than what China did. China did it more as a strong, dominant woman, whereas the rest were kind of diva girly. Lita did more of the punk rocker, and it was kind of cool. She... I don't think she would call herself punk rock as much as she would say she was indie or as some people call I guess now ska but she she did more of the independent type music and the underground style and then she kind of lived that life even outside of the ring um, so she's a very interesting person and you know I've read parts of her book I still have it I need to finish it and she's a very interesting individual but I would have to say, if you definitely want to watch some great stuff, again, the person to learn from with Lita is to watch her matches against Trish. They had some of the best rivalries you could ever ask for. Um, another person that would be great to mention for this whole thing, because I mean, 2014 had some beautiful wrestlers mentioned, um, Carlos Colon, which was... Uh, basically inducted by many of his family in uh, Orlando Cordon or Carlito. Uh, He promoted World Wrestling Council in Puerto Rico. Um, 26 times he was the WWC Universal Heavyweight Champion and he really helped build wrestling in that region, in that area. So he's another good one to give props to for 2014, we also had Paul Bearer, which Paul Bearer was one of the best managers, in my opinion. He, he didn't do things like other managers where he fit a certain mold. Paul Bearer was more of one of those people that he knew how to speak the words and play the part and play that creepy, creepy role. But the best thing that Paul Bear was known for was the fact that he was the manager for Undertaker and then Kane. I mean, he did go back and forth a little bit here and there, and he really did help cement that storyline for Kane. I mean, he did a great job. I'm not going to try it now, but when I was a kid, I used to be able to pull off the best Paul Bear imitation. There's no way I'm going to be able to do it now. Uh, he was a longtime manager also of WCCW, and 
he uh, also did manage Mankind for a little while. I almost forgot about that. But yeah, Paul Bear is one of those people that he doesn't really do things like you know, Jimmy Hart or other managers out there who's been pretty loud and outrageous and very colorful with their way. He kept with the the dark and creepy and brooding type of character when he was Paul Bear in the WWF and WWE. So definitely is a very notable, unique manager to ever check out, in my opinion. Last person for 2014 is probably one of my favorite heels from when I was growing up. We're talking about Razor Ramon, or Razor Ramon, a.k.a. Scott Hall. Ayo. You know, I tell people, I'm the bad guy. And Razor Ramon was an incredible heel. And the fact that most of the time when it came to wrestling... You had to make people believe that you're the heel. You had to make people believe that you're the face. He was the first one who was willing to get in your face and knowingly acknowledge that he is the bad guy. And he is the one that you're going to hate. He would do that. He would show you. He would prove it in his cocky, arrogant style. And it carried it over to the WCW with the start of NWO. Or as before that, the Outsiders with his buddy Kevin Nash. Scott Hall is a four-time WWF Intercontinental Champion, two-time WCW United States Heavyweight Champion, seven-time WCW World Tag Team Champion, and he was the 1997 World War III winner. He's got a lot of accolades, a lot of credit to him. You know, again, he had his own demons to face at one time, but he faced them. He did an incredible job. There's a lot of mad props to Scott Hall. Now, you know, there used to be a great wrestler who used to go by the Macho Man, who was inducted into the 2015 Hall of Fame. Yes, we're talking about Macho Man Randy Savage, one of my favorite characters out there only because of how unique he was. The Macho Man, you know, you you would think back then, at least for me as a kid, when I saw somebody coming out in glittery pink and bright, vibrant colors and wearing, like, a boa and everything else, I, I, as a kid, thought it looked weird and silly. I guess, you know, I didn't really know until I got older that that was kind of one of those things that if you could pull it off, so much like, you know, Jesse the Body of Ventura did... It was cool, but Macho Man made it cool for me because he did not care what anybody thought because he was the Macho Man. And, you know, he was a two-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion, four-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, one-time WWF Intercontinental Champion, King of the Ring 1987 winner, 1995 World War Three winner, and he was just a unique character altogether with Miss Elizabeth by his side. And he just, he made the word macho actually be what it was. He was the epiphany, I guess you could say, of macho. He was that cool. Also in 2015 was Rikishi Fatu. <laughs> I love Rikishi, okay? 
Rikishi is part of the Attitude Era. Big guy would back that thing up, and that's what made him famous was that big old booty. And the guy could dance. The guy knew how to break it down. When he started being part of Team Too Cool, that was awesome to me. But Rikishi, father of Jimmy and Jay Uso, this guy is awesome. He is a one-time WWF Intercontinental Champion, two-time World Tag Team Champion, and he also at one time was the WWE Tag Team Champion. This Samoan was incredible and made us all just love him in every single way. Another great one. Um, I know I mentioned her in my Diva series, but she was inducted in 2015. Alundra Blaze. She was also known as Medusa. She was a three-time WWF Women's Champion. She was the first woman to win the WCW Cruiserweight Championship and was a one-time AWA World Women's Champion. She was most notoriously known for being the spark that set off the Monday Night Wars by throwing the women's title into the trash at a WCW show. The women's WWF title, that is. Um, You know, people always talk about, oh, it was because of Hall and Nash, but no. It really had a spark start when Alundra Blaze decided to do that and go back to her name of Medusa. So, it was really a great thing to see her in the Hall of Fame, and it was even more hilarious to see her get the trash can and pull that back out, saying it's home where it belongs. As well as a few other great things that she threw out and made little jabs at and did some ribs. So, it was great. Um, Larry Zabisco, the living legend, he is inducted into the 2015 Hall of Fame. He was a two-time AWA World Heavyweight Champion, one-time WCW World Television Champion, one-time WCW World Tag Team Champion, and one-time WWF Tag Team Champion. What he's most known for, at least for me, is the fact that he was kind of one of those commentators and voices that you always knew and you always looked forward to, and that was back during the Monday Night Wars as well. And Larry Zabisco was very knowledgeable. He... He was like your Jerry Lawler of nowadays, or your uh, JBL, I guess, because JBL has the in-ring experience as well. Zabisco is the same way. He had that in-ring experience. He knew what it was like to be in there, so he could add that intellect, that insight as a commentator. And that's why, you know, it was always great to hear him during the WCW shows. Uh, I also always loved his little salute where he, you know put his fingers to his head and did a little spin with his fingers while he bowed. I've kind of, in my own way, have adapted that only because I think it's such a respectful thing and kind of cool. So that's my way of making homage to such a great legend. Uh, But Larry Zabisco, great guy. I I don't want to make too much of a rib on this because I don't know what's going on, but it was kind of a hard thing to listen to his speech during the Hall of Fame ceremony. Because he's such a brilliant mind and everything else. And I just feel like he was at a loss of words for once. And so he kind of had a hard time keeping track and keeping focus on it. But overall, though, Zabisco, you, you, you can't go wrong listening to his commentary and how he was able to make the words just flow so beautifully together. Uh, Tatsumi Fujinami. He was a six-time IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. 
one-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion, two-time WWF Junior Heavyweight Champion, another one that goes to back to before my time, but I've seen some things of his. He was really great and really kind of cool to check out. Um, I don't really have much to say about him because I didn't grow up watching him, but the things that I have seen, he's definitely worth checking out, guys. The last person for 2015 is Big Sexy himself, Kevin Nash. He was also known as Diesel. Um, He was part of the Outsiders and of New World Order when it came to WCW. He was originally started out kind of as the bodyguard of Shawn Michaels. He became a one-time WWF World Heavyweight Champion, five-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, one-time WWF Intercontinental Champion, nine-time WCW World Tag Team Champion, and two-time WWF Tag Team Champion, while also in 1998 he won the World War III Challenge or Tournament. Um, Kevin Nash is one of those guys that he, he's really kind of fun to listen to talk. He's, he's funny, but he's very educated and very wise. Uh, he... He did do a lot of things for the business, and he's a great guy to check out on what he has to say about that. He also did make a few, you know, little other extra things, like he did star in The Punisher, the Marvel movie. Um, He was the Russian on that one, and it was kind of interesting, because at first I didn't realize it was him, and then I saw the look in his eyes, and I realized that's definitely Kevin Nash, and went and checked and confirmed it. All in all, with wrestling thing, he was the master of the jackknife powerbomb. And I definitely would have to say, for any of the people who are seven feet or taller, Kevin Nash is the same category for me as I would say for Big Show or Kane or Andre, even Taker. Those are your guys to watch because they show you when you're that type of larger-than-life, giant-type character, they're the ones that will show you how to be that threatening powerhouse. And Big Sexy did it better than anybody else. He knew how to make it work. Alright, before we get to 2016 and what's been announced so far, I want to do touch on a few other things. So far, all I touched on are individual wrestlers. We haven't gone into the other categories. So the group inductions... Uh, 96 had the Valiant Brothers, Jimmy and Johnny Valiant. Then we also had 2006 with the Blackjacks, you know, Blackjack Mulligan and Blackjack Lanza. Um, unfortunately, these are names that I don't remember too well, so I'm not going too much into them. Um, I know that the Valiant Brothers were one-time WWWF World Tag Team Champions and the first tag team to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. The Blackjacks were one-time WWWF Tag Team Champions, World Tag Team Champions as well. Uh, you get a little bit more to where things I can remember. Um, you had the Wild Samoans, Afa and Sika. They were the three-time WWF Tag Team Champions. I remember them, and they were definitely wild. And they were really entertaining to watch. Um... You had, in 2008, we inducted the Briscoe Brothers. Jack Briscoe and Gerald Briscoe as three-time NWA World Tag Team Champions, and they held over a dozen regional NWA Tag Team Championships as well. 
uh, you also had the following year, 2009, we inducted the Funks, Terry and Dory Funk, well, Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr. We've got to make sure I put that Jr. in there. They held several tag team championships, including the NWA International Tag Team Championship, on three separate occasions. Um, the Von Elricks were also inducted in 2009, which was Fritz Von Elric, Kevin Von Elric, David Von Elric, uh, Carrie Von Elric, Mike Von Elric, and Chris Von Elric. That's a lot of Von Elrics. <laughs> they noted wrestling's fam. They were noted as like a wrestling family that spent many years wrestling the world class championship wrestling. Their combinations of the family held several NWA regional and WW. Oh, sorry, WCCW tag team championships, including the WCWA World Tag Team and World Six Man Tag Team Championship. They had definitely done a lot of great things, paid the dues, and like I said, that's a lot of Von Elricks to uh, mention there, but they made it work. They were awesome. And I only can say that, you know, it gets better from there, honestly, because in 2011, inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame was the Road Warriors, Road Warrior Hawk, Road Warrior Animal, and Precious Paul Ellering. And they were a two-time WWF Tag Team Champion, one-time AWA World Tag Team Champions. At four times, they were the NWA National Tag Team Champions. They were an NWA International Tag Team Champions at one time. Uh, three times, they were the NWA Six, part of the NWA World Six Man Tag Team Champions. Uh, NWA World Tag Team Champions at one time as well. I mean, these guys, I know I mentioned a lot of NWA. NWA was, you know, kind of before what we all know now, but these guys started out there pretty much, and then they turn around and you have them now in the WWF and everything else, and they were such an interesting group, an interesting team, because you, you see these guys coming out with a face paint and the almost like football shoulder pads, but with spikes and the mohawk or the aggressive tough biker-like look. And they, they made it awesome. And they were the ones who created the doomsday device. I mean, I see so many people nowadays who in the independent world use the doomsday device and their tag team stuff. And they do it great. Don't get me wrong. But the road warriors are where it all started. And they did incredible. Uh, 2012, we had the Four Horsemen, which can, is part of the Nature Boy Ric Flair, Barry Windham, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, uh, Tully Bletchard, and James Dillon, or J.J. Dillon, as some people call him. They were one of the top stables of the 1980s, and they reached their peak in 1988. Uh, they basically had, during that time, all three major NWA championships, the World Championship, the United States Championship, and the Tag Team Championship, these guys pretty much were the stable. If you were wanting to be a successful stable, you kind of learned how to model around these guys. And, I mean, the Four Horsemen, it did change throughout the years. I remember when I was growing up, the Four Horsemen had different people in it. But the main people was always Flair and Anderson were always around. Uh, but, you know, they 
giving what's giving what is due, even though I know I've made my statement at the very beginning of this whole series about how I feel about tag teams and staples being inducted because there's so many out there that should be looked at and they usually aren't. But I, I do have to give the devil its due. The four horsemen definitely deserve to be on here because they are one of the top leading stables ever in our history. And they proved it right there. Like I just said, they had, during the NWA time in 88, they had all three major NWA championships. And they knew how to style and profile to show the class. They were the evolution before evolution was even a thought in anybody's brain. So, I mean, you you got to look at it that way, and you got to give it some incredible props for what they had back then. Uh, last is the 2015 inductee of the Bushwhackers. Luke Williams and Butch Miller. <laughs> what can I say about these guys? They were probably one of the wackiest, zaniest, goofiest tag teams out there. Um, they actually, well, fun fact here is before they joined the WWE, they were known as the Shepherders. But they won over 20 regional tag team championships in AWA, NWA, UWF, and Stampede during their 40-year career. And one thing that I, anybody who's seen the Bushwhackers can will be able to mimic this because it's memorable. When they'd walk around, they'd have the arm, one arm up above their head, one arm near their waist, and they would alternate back and forth, like moving the arms up and down, up and down while they're walking. And it was the goofiest thing in the world, but it won people over. I know when I was a kid, I did it for a while just because I thought it was funny. And, you know, hey, I'm a wrestling fan. This is kind of cool. This is funny. And, and that was the Bushwhackers for you. I mean, they did other weird things. I mean, I remember one time they almost looked like dogs. They were licking all over the face of me and Gene Okerlund. It, it was an interview. <laughs> what can you say? Uh, so, I mean, those are your group ones. There's there's plenty of other groups out there that should be inducted. I could make a list for you, and, and I will probably mention some when I make my own prediction of people who are overdue, and with hopefully not going too many people, but there are some groups or teams that are well-deserving of being on there. You know, we also have the celebrity wing of the WWE, which I do and do not like. Uh, more so don't like, but I am going to make sure we mention them because it's worth mentioning. I mean, First off, 2004, we had Pete Rose, who appeared at WrestleMania 14, 15, and WrestleMania 2000. Uh, 2006, we inducted or they inducted, rather, William the Refrigerator Perry, who participated in the WWF versus NFL Battle Royal at WrestleMania. Uh, number two, that is. Uh, Bob Erker, who guest interviewed and ring announced at WrestleMania 3 and 4, was inducted in 2010. Drew Carey was inducted in 2011, uh, he was an early entry into the 2001 Royal Rumble. 2012, Mike Tyson was inducted. Uh, he was a special guest referee at WrestleMania 14 and a guest host at Raw in 2010. 
2013, we had Donald Trump inducted, which, you know, I'm going to keep my comments there quiet. But he did host WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 5 at Trump Plaza. He also won the Battle of the Billionaires at WrestleMania 23, which, okay, I can't keep my mouth shut. That's probably the only thing that really I like about Trump anymore is the Battle of the Billionaires. I'm not wanting to get into politics here. This is wrestling, so if you don't like what I have to say, sorry, but we're not going to get into a politic war. Uh, 2014, we had Mr. T, who was inducted. He headlined the first WrestleMania. He co-headlined the second. And he made appearances and wrestled in WCW, including a match at Starcade in 1994. And he probably gave one of the best... Uh, speeches during a Hall of Fame ceremony, if you ask me. I know that the WWE made kind of a spoof video about it, but if you actually listen to the whole thing, it was very good, and unfortunately, though, it did carry on a bit much to where they did have to cut him short. Uh, 2015, we had Arnold Schwarzenegger inducted, who made numerous appearances on WWE's programming, and it, it kind of is great to see that the honored is finally you know getting that recognition if you're going to recognize drew carey and a few other people you, you better recognize you know the the terminator himself or conan the barbarian or however you want to recognize him as so that was great to see too uh, the last category before we get on to 2016 is a very near and dear category uh, it's the Warrior Award, and they did this in honor of the Ultimate Warrior after he passed away from his, um, I believe it was a heart failure, but basically after his unfortunate death, they had decided to create this award to show people who had a warrior spirit in their life, whether it was firefighters, policemen, army, people who went above and beyond and it was a really great idea, and it still is a great idea. I, I'm really glad that they're doing this. And one thing that, um, you know, I really have to say about this is in 2015, they inducted the right person. They inducted Connor the Crusher uh, Mikulik. I'm I know I'm messing up that last name, and I do apologize to the family. But I know that Connor the Crusher, even now talking about it, makes me think about the, watching the video scene that they did of inducting him and everything else. And it, it makes you want to cry. I mean, I am not one to ever let a show bring me to tears, especially if it's a simple show like wrestling or whatever. But this kid, this kid went through battling cancer. Eight years old. And was going through so much. And he had still one of the greatest hearts. He reminded me of my best friend, Rick, who passed away from leukemia. And, and children with pancreatic cancer really have a huge uphill battle. And that's what Connor had. But he had the right spirit. He never really let it beat him down. He still had the tough mentality. He was a wrestler in his own right. And he won not only the, the hearts of all the talent that he saw there, but he won the hearts of all the fans who got to know him. Even if it was for just those few episodes and few segments, 
we we got to know Connor real fast and just absolutely fall in love with him and his family. And I can only imagine how hard it was for his family to see him go through all that, but also how moving it was for them, the fact that he never let it sway him or make his uh, personality start to falter. He he kept a positive personality, and that's that says a lot for a little kid. And I think that kids sometimes have that innocence, and that us as adults, we somehow lost that. And to see that he had that heart still just makes me almost envious. It's like I almost envy my best friend who passed away from leukemia. Not because I want leukemia. Not at all. I, I want to see that des- destroyed. I don't, want, I don't want to see it ever show its ugly face ever again. If I could help, I'd cure it. But the fact that they're able to keep a positive look on life and not let something like that keep them down. They're able to keep a positive outlook and move forward in a way that's just phenomenal. So, there's my uh, little heartfelt moment there, and you know, my bit of seriousness. Only other thing I can say about that is, if you haven't checked out the Connors Cure charity, do it. it. It's in honor of Connor the Crusher, and it's for children who have pancreatic cancer, or not pancreatic cancer, it's a uh, Pediatric cancer, that's the word. I knew it began with a P. I should know this stuff because I, I know some medical things, but pediatric cancer. And it's tough for them and it's tough for their family. And you participating with Connor's Cure, even the littlest bit goes a long way to helping give them hope. So definitely, if, if you do anything, if you take anything away from this, check that out and know that Every little bit can go a long way. Just saying. Alright, back to some regular programming stuff. No more of that, you know, heartfelt, sad, sappy stuff. I, I know that it needed to be said, but let's get to some serious stuff here, okay? 2016! I know we don't have the full list yet of who's to be inducted. And normally I was going to wait till you know, it gets closer to the Hall of Fame, and, you know, then talk about it all, but, eh, you know what? By the time it gets to that, I have a feeling that we're going to have this whole thing done and over with, and I'm just going to make my little comments here and there. So let's just get this rolling. First off, we have the first person that we know is being inducted is the icon, the franchise, the one that they call Sting. Sting is basically the second active WWE wrestler to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, I know he's only had a few matches, but he is considered active roster. He is a six-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, one-time NWA World Heavyweight Champion, two-time WCW United States Heavyweight Champion, and three-time World Championship Wrestling World Tag Team Champion. Sting is one of those that he is incredible to watch his history of, to go see him go from that bleach blonde surfer boy type persona with the small face paint 
to what we now see with the black and white crow-esque face paint that we all have grown to uh, become fond of with him. And he still has it. I I'm, don't know how else to put it, but he still got it. And Sting is an incredible wrestler. Does this mean I think he should wrestle all the time like, and every time? No. But I wouldn't mind seeing him actually get into another match and actually, you know, have them let him win one because he deserves to have a win over a big match. I mean, the guy has done so much for wrestling history in itself. I I still have issues with that WrestleMania between Triple H and Sting, but that's not the time or place right now, now is it, boys and girls? Second person we know is to be inducted is the Godfather. When he is going to be inducted, he basically was the man who really helped bring the controversy into the Attitude Era, and I'm not going to be able to use the words of what he had, but I will just, like Lawler, I will say it was the train. And I'll let you all just take it from there. Um, Godfather was a one-time WWF Intercontinental Champion, as well as one-time WWF Tag Team Champion. And he was a unique character, to say the least. Uh, Fabulous Freebirds, which is Michael Hayes, Terry Goody, or Gordy, rather, Buddy Roberts and Jimmy Garvin, I believe is the way you pronounce that. Uh, They are basically a two-time WCW World Tag Team Champions, two-time WCW US Tag Team Champions, one-time WCW Six-Man Tag Team Champions, and they are credited for creating what was known as the Freebird Rule, which, if you have been paying attention to... um, the New Day, they pretty much do the Freebird Rule. What the Freebird Rule is, for those who still don't understand what it is, is, let's use the New Day since they're current. There's three men in the the whole faction team, whatever you want to call it, and they're carrying around a tag team t- championship that is meant for two people. Well, with the Freebird Rule, even though there's only two belts, all three hold the title. They can change who properly wears the title at any time, any place. Granted, usually we see Big E and Kofi do the dirty work, but Xavier can wear the belt and be considered a tag team champion. It also means that with the Freebird rule, there's a lot of times where when you say team versus team, if you don't specify it's two on two and you just say team versus team, it can easily become a two versus three situation because all three members of the New Day are a part of the team. So that's the Freebird rule. Is It's the entire team. It's not just two set individuals. Uh, the last person that they've mentioned, which they just mentioned on Monday, is the Big Boss Man. And again, go back and watch the footage from back in the day. The Big Boss Man was no joke. Not only did he know how to use that... Uh, nightstick and everything else like an officer would, but he played the part of being an officer but being the bad cop and doing it just right. And he was... One thing I remember is he was very much the enforcer for the corporate ministry or just the corporate. 
uh, he basically back then when that was going on, he wore more of a SWAT team outfit. But a very powerful man, very skilled, very talented. Um, unfortunately, he did pass away. But he is a um, four-time WWF Hardcore Champion, one-time WWF Tag Team Champion, and just an incredible talent to watch. So I do highly recommend checking him out. So with that being said, boys and girls, that is your WWF Hall of Fame roster inductees, including the upcoming inductees, on April 2nd. Now, with that being said and all, there is a little bit more that I want to share with you. So just hang tight. Okay, boys and girls, so we have reached the end of this episode. And what I want to share with you is that we do actually have one more episode before this series is officially done. And that episode is plain and simple priest yours truly feels are individuals teams or whatever you may call it that are more than deserving and should have had a wwe hall of fame induction either long ago like it's been well overdue or just who i feel should have it here sometime soon And I'm going to try to avoid certain things like, oh, Daniel Bryan or something like that. Because, yes, I do feel Daniel Bryan deserves to be in the Hall of Fame at some point, but not this year. So I'm going to point out different ones that I know have been around for quite a while that definitely should be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And hopefully we'll see how many of those you guys agree or disagree with. So, until then, you all take it easy, I'll see you in two weeks, and let's see what we think about the possibilities for future WWE Hall of Fame inductees. Thank you for listening to the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at thesleeperhold.com, comment on episodes, read our blog, find information about our quarterly charity, and more. See you next week.